And then small groups, kind of my, my plug is, is I, I don't care if you're in a small group for Stonebridge. I really don't. But what I do care about a lot, and I think God cares about a ton, is spiritual friendships. You, you have to have them. There are no only children. We're all adopted into a family. There's no Lone Ranger Christians. However you want to say that, it just doesn't work. There's at least 54 commands in the New Testament that are one another's. It's impossible to do a one another without another person. We're designed for Christian community, and you, you have to have it. You're not going to make it for long, at least well, without brothers and sisters. If you're an introvert like me, that can be a difficult thing to kind of get your mind around. It's a nightmare to think about going up the street and having to interact with people you don't know and maybe connecting with a group that you don't know. I would encourage you just to be courageous. Again, I don't, I don't care if you're in a Stonebridge small group. I just want you somewhere on a regular basis with four or three or seven or 12 people who you're walking through life with specifically as Christians. Other friends are great, but if they're not spurring you on to love and good deeds, if they're not praying for you, if they're not helping you kind of bear your spiritual and emotional and relational and life burdens, then you're missing something key. And if you're not doing that for other people, then you're missing a key part of what it means for you to mature in your faith. It's not just about what you receive, but also about what you give. Small groups is a great place for that, but it's not the only place. So find something and find it quickly. And it doesn't have to work forever. It needs to work until Christmas. And then you can do something else. So just find something for the fall that works. And you're looking at your schedule and you don't have time, make it. You reap what you sow, and if you're not sowing into your own spiritual life, Sunday morning is great, your personal devotional time is great, but you can't read particularly the, the New Testament. You can't read it without seeing the enormous emphasis that God places on Christian brothers and sisters walking through life together. You've got to figure out some way of doing that. So that's my encouragement to you. Uh, as an introvert and as someone who I've got children too, and we, we've got all of the things and trying to figure that out. Nights don't work for you, then do it in the morning. Just find a time where you can gather together regularly with a handful of people uh, to spur you on and whom you can spur on. Okay, John 20. So in the next just 20 minutes or so, we're going to look at this, just a handful of verses. Jesus crucified, dead, and buried. All that happens on Good Friday. On Easter... He rises from the dead. We just sang that. You know that. On Easter Sunday, back in April, we looked at the first 18 verses of chapter 20. Mary Magdalene runs to the tomb. This huge stone that sealed the tomb is rolled away. So she runs back to where the disciples are staying. And she gets Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John. And then they sprint to the tomb and they go inside and they see Jesus' grave closed, but they don't see him. And John tells us that he believes... But he doesn't tell us what he believes because in the next sentence he says the disciples still didn't know from the scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So we don't know what John believed, but he, he believes something. Then they go home and Mary Magdalene comes back. And this time she looks in the tomb and she sees two angels and she's crying. They say, why are you crying? And they say, they've taken my Lord. I don't know where they put him. And then she sees a gardener and she says to the gardener, if you've taken his body somewhere, just let me know and I'll go get it. And then the gardener says, Mary. And in that moment when he says her name... She recognizes that this gardener is Jesus. And so she falls at his feet, and he says, Don't grab onto me. I'm not going anywhere yet. 
Go back and tell the brothers what you've seen and what I'm telling you. So she goes back to where the disciples are staying, and her testimony is, I've seen the Lord. That's what she tells them. I've seen the Lord. We're going to look at just a, a four verses this morning that occur on Easter night. So that's Easter morning, and this is Easter evening. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the, of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you, don't, if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So set the scene. It's difficult for us to put ourselves in the mind of the disciples on that day because Jesus rising from the dead is such a cliche. It, it, it's so known among us, it's hard to remember what it would be like to not know that truth. But if you can, try. So they're locked in this room because they're afraid of the Jewish leaders, and rightfully so. The Jewish leaders have just had Jesus crucified. They want to stamp out this whole Jesus movement. So they've killed the general, so now why not go after the lieutenants? Why would they not do that? And if they were able to have Jesus crucified, how much more so could they do whatever they wanted with the disciples? So it makes sense that they're afraid. They're devastated. This guy they've been with for, for three years, they thought was the Messiah, and Messiahs don't get crucified. And so they're trying to reconcile and grieve. It's only been three days and reconcile what they know of who Jesus was to them for three years with their lifelong expectations of, who the Messiah would be and how the Messiah would come on the scene. And then they've got this word from Mary, and who knows what box they put that in. I've seen the Lord. And they know John and Peter went to the tomb and saw it empty. And, and again, I don't, I don't even know how they would contextualize those pieces of information. And so in the midst of that emotional gumbo, Jesus shows up in the room with all the doors locked. And so that's, that's new. haven't seen that before. And he says to them, it's me. See the wounds in my wrists and the wounds on my side. He's saying, you can verify that it really is me. Like, I'm, I'm proving to you, this is, I'm not a ghost. This isn't a dream. This isn't a vision. This isn't a hallucination. It's really me. And he says to them, peace be with you, which is the standard Jewish greeting. Kind of bring calm to everyone. So Jesus, uh, we, we don't know exactly, this is a bit of a side note. Somehow, Jesus is recognizable by the disciples. They can see him. People wonder, well, when we're in whatever heaven looks like, whatever this new heaven and new earth, will we, will we recognize one another? And it looks like the answer is yes. The disciples recognize Jesus. He still has wounds in his wrists and a wound in his side. But then there's something different about his body, too. He can walk through a locked door, and we can't do that. We don't know exactly what that means. Paul tells us in Philippians 3 that whatever body Jesus has, we're getting the same one. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks a little bit more about this. You can call it a resurrection body or a spiritual body or a glorified body. Whatever you want to call it, you, you get one, and I'll get one. We don't know exactly what they'll be. We do know Jesus didn't get chubby and wings and a halo. That's not happening to you. You're not turning into an angel, but you are going to get a new body. And there'll be points of continuity. Jesus looks the same. He still eats. He still has wounds. 
and discontinuity, he can walk through locked doors or walk through a wall. And then he gives them this commission, and that's where I want us to spend the rest of our time. And we're going to look at three parts of this commission, and I want you to grab onto the one that you most need this morning. What is the thing that you most need to hear? All of these things flow out of Jesus' resurrection. The first thing he says is, peace be with you. That can just sound bland. Hello, how are you? Peace be with you. The word peace in the New Testament is a significant word. Actually, in the Old Testament as well. It doesn't just mean the absence of conflict, but the presence of right relationship. The presence of well-being in your life. So when Jesus says, peace be with you, what he's offering the disciples is right relationship with him and with the Father. Last week we talked about Jesus' death um, dealing with that partition that sin creates. Sin separates us from God and Jesus' death reconciles us to God. Isaiah 53 says, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. He took our punishment so that we could be reconciled to the Father. So when Jesus says, peace be with you, that's a loaded statement. There's a whole lot underneath that to be unpacked relationally in terms of the disciples and the Father. He's not just saying, be still your beating heart because it's, you're upset about your circumstances. Much, much deeper than that. And, and maybe this morning you need to hear that word. Peace be with you. Maybe you don't, right now you would have to say if you're honest that you're estranged from God. That there is separation between you and him. That you don't know what it is to be an adopted son or a daughter. And what Jesus would say to you is peace be with you. He's paid the penalty for you. The punishment that will bring you peace has been laid upon him. So that you can be reconciled to the father. Many of you have already prayed that prayer. You, you know that you're a son or a daughter of God. But if you're honest right now, your heart is not at peace. It's not at rest. You're jostled around because of a lot of circumstances. Where I would encourage you is don't look at the circumstances and don't necessarily even go after that anxiety or that fear directly. But look more deeply. The reason we can have peace is because we're in right relationship with God. That's where our peace is rooted in. It's not rooted in our ability to control circumstances. It's not rooted in, in, in everything working out exactly the way we want it to. It's not even rooted in some inner sense of calm or, or emotional fortitude that we have. We have peace because we're sons and daughters of God. And everything else radiates out of that. So that picture, Jesus in the boat with the storm, the key is Jesus in the boat, right, with you. It's the relational peace, P-I-E-C-E, that then gives you that broader peace, P-E-A-C-E. Do you need to hear that this morning from Jesus? Second thing he says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. How does the Father send the Son? Again, foundationally, there's other things we could say. The Father sends the Son in the flesh. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt or made His dwelling among us or tabernacled among us. The tabernacle, you can read back in Exodus, it's this, this, this mobile holy place. God gave Moses a blueprint. Moses had Israelite craftsmen built it. And it was, it was the place where God, quote, lived on earth. 
If you wanted to meet God, you went to the tabernacle because that's where he was. And then the temple replaced the tabernacle when the Israelites settled in the land. And then Jesus replaces the temple. That's why he cleanses it. It's not fulfilling its function any longer. When he was on earth, Jesus was the place where God, quote, lived. Jesus was the place where you went to meet God. Look at the things that he did, particularly the healings and the deliverances that he accomplished. He's the place where people go to meet God. And then, incredibly, what he says to us, it's not an exact parallel, but what he says to us is, y'all too. Y'all too. After I leave, I'll send another one, just like me. Another helper, another counselor, another advocate, another counselor. And he's going to be just like me, except instead of being next to you like I am, he's going to be in you. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 6, you're a temple individually. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're like one of those tabernacles where the Holy Spirit takes up residence. God lives in you. That's cliche for many of you. Let the profundity of that statement sink in. What does it mean that God lives within me? What does that mean? I go with the presence of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if that changes things for you to think about that. God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. But he particularly makes himself known through his people. He did it through Jesus supremely. And he also chooses to do it through his church, capital C, which is us. You go with the presence of the Holy Spirit and you go in the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, amazingly, Jesus says to the disciples, it's actually good for you for me to leave. How is that possible? When I go, you'll do even greater things than me. Greater than raising someone from the dead, greater than walking on water, greater than feeding 5,000 men with one guy's lunch. Not greater in kind, but greater in number. The Holy Spirit was localized during the ministry of Jesus in one man, Jesus. He's now distributed or dispersed across hundreds of millions of followers of Jesus. It's not greater in kind, but greater in number. You're a part of that. Jesus says in Acts 1.8 that we'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us. And it's not to do whatever we want. It's to be witnesses. As the Father sent Jesus, he sends you. Do you know that? Do you know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? And all of the implications and ramifications of that for what you say and what you do and how you do what you do and how you say what you say. Do you recognize that everywhere you go, you're bringing him with you? And that he empowers you to obey him. And he empowers you to love and to bless other people. And then Jesus gives them an assignment. And it sounds weird to us with our Protestant ears. If you have a Catholic background, this verse may mean something a little bit different in your mind than it does for me. He says to them, you're going to go, and anyone who sends you forgive, their sins will be forgiven. And anyone who sends you don't forgive, their sins won't be forgiven. And we hear that, and we're like, that doesn't sound right at all. 1 John 1, 9 says that if, we're faith, that if we confess our sins, that the Father is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't mediate that for people. 
Those sins are already forgiven. Jesus forgave every sin, past, present, and future, for every person who had ever lived on the cross. That's why he can say it's finished. His work is done. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. All sins are already forgiven. The ones that you hadn't even thought about committing, they're already forgiven. The ones for the people who haven't even, they're they're not even a, a twinkle in the eye of their parents. Those sins are already forgiven. It's if Courtney goes to the deli after this and he pays, he says, I'm going to pay for lunch for everybody from Stonebridge. And he goes and he does that. And then that's, that's for all. And then every one of you that goes and, and orders, then you get to receive the benefit of Courtney's generosity. You should try that. Go and say, put my meal on Courtney's tab and see what they say. That's what forgiveness is. Jesus has forgiven every sin. And then we appropriate that by faith. We say, God, I want my portion of that. The sins are already forgiven. The benefit is already available to everyone. The the tab has already been paid at the deli. But if you don't go and order food, then you don't receive the benefit. If you don't turn to Jesus in repentance and say, I want to receive this payment that you made on my behalf, then you don't get the benefit of that. So what we get to do is tell people, we announce, we proclaim that sins are already forgiven. And the people that don't get to hear, for many of them, unfortunately, they remain dead in their sins. They don't know that there's another way. They don't know that God sent his son to make a way for them. You have an assignment. You know that. God is actively reconciling the world to himself. God is destroying the works of the devil. He's establishing his rule and reign here in Marietta and throughout the world. And what he says is, I want you to help me do that. Not because I need you, but because I want you. As my sons and my daughters, I've got work for you to do. Will you come and do that with me? You don't have a choice about whether or not you have an assignment. You do have a choice on whether or not you fulfill it. You have an assignment You have a role to play in what God is doing. And it doesn't matter how gifted you feel like you are or aren't. It doesn't matter how anointed you feel like you are or aren't. It doesn't matter how well you feel like you know the Bible or don't. It doesn't matter how holy you feel like you are or aren't. None of that matters. He decides and he invites us into his work. Do you realize that about yourself? We call that doing your deal. There's good works that God has created in advance for you to do. There's things that he is inviting you to be a part of. But we lose sight of that so quickly. Most of us live day to day, week to week, month to month. We lose sight of eternity. There's only one thing that I know in our culture that reminds us that this life isn't all there is, and that's death. And so what's happened is now death, we've put a nice label on it. Nobody dies anymore. They pass on or they pass away. And we privatize death. We don't talk about it. It's tucked away. And so the one thing that could remind us that this life isn't all there is, that this life, even at 75 or 85 or 95 years, is still incredibly brief, the thing that could awaken us to eternity is now shoved in a corner. It is never spoken. It's a great trick if that's what you're trying to do to people, isn't it? Are you aware that you have an assignment And that assignment has eternal implications. That doesn't devalue what you do tomorrow. I hope it infuses it with significance and with meaning. I hope it gives you some sense of perspective. Hopefully it can help you prioritize. 
what deserves all of that heart that you're putting into it. Peace be with you. As Jesus, sent, as Jesus was sent by the Father, he sends you. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Which one of those do you need to hear this morning? Let's pray. You do this with me if you would. We got a couple of minutes. You grab onto the word that you most need to hear. You just, in your heart, you ask the Holy Spirit to speak that word to you in a way that you would understand, in a way that would resonate and really take root in your heart. If you need some kind of framework for that, you can pray along in your heart after me. Some of you, you've, you've never received the benefit. There's a, there's a free meal for you at the deli, and you're busy making your own sandwich. You don't have to do it anymore. You can make the choice this morning to receive the grace of God, the love of God demonstrated through Jesus' death. He paid your bill so that you can be reconciled to the Father. And all you have to say this morning is, is I receive that. If you want a biblical prayer, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me. Mercy is the withholding of judgment that we're due. God, have mercy on me. And he will. And you can begin a new life with him right now. Many of you have prayed that prayer, but maybe this morning your heart is stirred up and troubled. You're anxious about all kinds of things. And what you most need to hear is peace be with you. With your name attached to the end of that statement. Acknowledge that before the Lord. God, before... Above all things this morning, the thing I would most want to know, would you assure me, would you assure me of my adoption in your family that you've got me and that you've got this, whatever it is. Don't start with the this. Start with the identity as a son or a daughter. The Holy Spirit's called the spirit of adoption and he can remind you That you've been included in God's family and then everything else flows from there. Do you need to be reminded of your sentness this morning? That as the Father sent the Son, so the Son sends you with the presence and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Just say that, God, would you remind me that I'm sent? This place where I work, this school that I attend, this neighborhood where I live. You've placed me there. And you haven't left me alone. That you're with me. You're with me in the commute. You're with me in class. You're with me in the meetings. You're with me 
in the boardroom. You're with me in the field. You're not just with me, kind of give me a pat on the back. You empower me to be obedient to you and to love and bless those that you put in my path. You've been sent. And you have an assignment. You need to be reminded of that. God, I confess that it's so easy for me just to get focused on what's next and keeping all the balls in the air and the plates spinning and would you remind me of eternity? Would you give me a glimpse of what you're doing in this city and in this world? And would you remind me that you've invited me into that and not as a heavy weight, your burden is easy and your yoke is light, but I would recognize the significance of the life that you've given me, that I would see myself as a steward and not as an owner, that everything I have is a gift and I want to honor you with all of it, my time and my resources and my energy, it's all yours. Would you clarify for me the good works that you've created in advance for me to do? And I trust that because you made them and you know me, it's going to fit like a glove. So would you lead me into that Holy Spirit? My prayer, God, is for the, the thing that we each need to hear this morning, that we would each hear that in a way that we could understand that truth would set root deeply in our hearts. I pray that every one of us would hear you saying to us, peace, be with you. That we would know we've, we've been adopted into your family. That we would hear you saying, as I sent the Son, so I'm sending you. Father, that we would recognize that you've given us an assignment and you've given us every resource in your spirit that's needed to be faithful and fruitful in that assignment. In Jesus' name, amen.